Welcome to Taking in the Higher Road, a Driver Reach and Freight Waves production. I'm Wendy Bartz, Vice President of Customer Experience for Driver Reach, a modern recruiting and compliance solution. In Jeremy's absence this week, I'm excited to be your guest host. On this show, we interview industry experts and thought leaders that have insights on that driver life cycle as we discuss industry's greatest challenges around driver recruiting and retention. Your feedback is really important to us, so please remember to rate and review the higher road taking the higher road on whatever platform you listen to us on. And I'm so honored today to be chatting with an amazing industry friend, Jeremy May, who is the Vice President of Client Services for Ramsey Media Works. Ramsey has been in the recruitment marketing territory for 20 years, offering everything from creative services to web development to ad placement and everything between, all in-house, all with an unmatched dedication to developing strong customer relations. It's great to see you, Jeremy. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Wendy, and thank you, FreightWaves, for posting uh, this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to chat and learn more with you on your background in driver recruitment marketing. I know Ramsey is coming up on 20 years in the industry, and you're not too far behind that, right? 16, 17 years now? Yeah, right on. I think, I think real close to 17 that being active in the space. Very cool. Well, today I want to pick your brain on several things from a marketing perspective, uh, things around call center strategies, KPIs, attracting the next generation. And I'm pretty sure this conversation can go a lot of other directions too. So I'm looking forward to it. Does that sound good to you? Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Well, you and I got to know each other. Um, if I remember, it was in Alabama at the uh, Horse and Hunt Club event that Roger Fair invited us to. Yes, I remember that well. That was the first uh, uh, event I went to that was in the driver recruiting space. So I, you know, I had been at a company for, for many years prior to that. But um, yeah, I remember that that event very well. And, and frankly, I made a lot of great connections, uh, as you just mentioned, you being one of them. Yeah, very, very cool. Why don't you share uh, with our audience today a little bit about what got you into the industry? How did you get where you are today, Jeremy? Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I think early in my college days, I knew that I was interested in uh, management. Um, finance was an interest and marketing was, was actually my chosen study. So, um, I, you know, I, I've been fortunate to kind of grow up in this digital era when, you know, Google and Facebook and things like that have just consistently opened programs up and, and uh, the entrepreneurial spirit that I have, um, marketing just gave me the opportunity that change was going to be rapidly happening. And while I didn't know how much at the time, it certainly is, uh, has delivered on, on that expectation as, as a kid in college. But, um, yeah, I just, I chose marketing, um, and I just really loved, loved what it did. And, uh, you know, that's what everybody's grandpa's always told them to do something you love and you won't work in your life. And I'd, I'd have a hard time saying I've spent many days working. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know at a recent event, uh, that we were at the SSHR and you were in one of my presentations that I gave, um, and you made a comment on consulting, you know, with one carrier and kind of being the best version of yourself. Um, is that an approach that you use on a regular basis when you're helping companies be successful with marketing? Not very much. Um, yeah, I remember that conversation. You, you, it was really in context that you did a fabulous job 
talking to an audience. And I think that, you know, that's hard to do because everybody in the audience has probably something unique that, that they're challenged with or an opportunity that they have within the organization. And, and I just, I, I remember that was, that was just something you did a very good job of. But I think, you know, when it comes to how we have conversations with our clients, it's absolutely that, you know, you have to, you have to look at the the unique things that, that they need solved and not just be a, you know, um, cookie cutter, if you will. And so that's very much what I do is, is, is try to go into every conversation without, you know, while I have a lot of knowledge, um, try not to use that on the early part of the conversation because it's, you know, it's not always the right fit for everybody. And so, um, and I definitely want to have a custom, um, you know, conversation with, with anybody that has a need. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, mm-hmm. I find it very powerful too. And, um, it's, it's exciting to help carriers and help them just look at it from if I put myself in your shoes, here's what here's what I would do um, to structure things or, or work through that process. The other day when we were chatting, um, kind of, you know, just chatting about this, this event and, and talking today, one thing you mentioned to me was employee value propositions, um, which I don't hear that term very often from other people. Uh, and I would love to just hear um, you know, how important that is, how do you structure this and, uh, help our audience see things from a different perspective? Yeah. So, so yeah, employee, me, employee value propositions, you know, EVPs, uh, kind of the buzzword, if you will. And, it, and it's very much that it's a buzzword. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, if you're talking about how you go into a company and have those conversations, you know, you really need to, you have to understand their vision, their mission, and, and really, most importantly, their values, because I think those things are going to kind of create their uh, culture and they're in, within the culture and all those other uh, components are really where the, the EVP lives. And, you know, it's who you are. Um, the reason it's a buzzword, um, and I think trucking probably could get this more than anybody, um, is because it, it's really a sales term. And if anybody that's been in sales for any part of their career has heard of the UVP, Unique Value Propositions. It's it's uh, taking, you know, a, a, what is a feature uh, and implying kind of what's in it for you, you know, um, the audience uh, and taking making it a benefit. And that's really what an EVP is doing. And, and the reason it's become such a powerful thing in, in HR departments, recruiting departments is um, I think you and everybody probably listening today knows that, that, that a company in a supply chain company specifically, they want to grow. I almost guarantee you that the the salespeople, the recruiters, if you will, are the most critical component to growing, right? I mean, the, the, um, you know, the last decade sales folks were, were trying to close deals and bring on freight. And in the last two years, there's more orders than they can possibly fulfill. And so your growth is going to come from having those trucks seated. And that's why I think you're seeing that happen in a lot as talent is extremely hard to find. Um, labor is extremely hard to find. And I would say that it's it's amplified even more in the, in the trucking space. Yeah, and more of those departments, divisions, they're they're looked at from a, that sales perspective. There, it's driver recruiting to even just getting good employees to come work for a business. Right now, is turning into even more sales because people have options. Lots of them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even last week, you know, we're hearing. There's a recession coming and employment. We, I think we added 372,000 jobs just last month. I mean, it's uh, that people have choice. A mm-hmm. lot of it still. Yeah. It's not a bad place to be. Yeah. 
Let's let's switch gears a little bit, Jeremy, and talk about just the marketing side. Um, and how do you kind of figure a media mix when you're strategizing? You know, what types of leads are important? Um, give give some knowledge and expertise to our listeners uh, because lead volume is important. I mean, I hear it every single day in my job. Yeah. Well, I think you, it's it's very important. I think you, to to you know, you ask about media mix, a hundred percent, it's important. Um, but what's important is you understand what that company's capabilities are. So, think well, not just capabilities either. It's their their uh, immediate needs and their long term goals. Because when I think about media mix, you know, I think in this space particularly. Um, I think a lot of people will default to things like direct leads versus multi-carrier leads. And I think that's a that's a um, that's where that conversation starts. But it's hard to put a plan together. You know, if you go in with with an agenda trying to sell something to them with, you know, with your all your knowledge or your, uh, you know, the sources that you work with, what you really have to understand, again, is that is their immediate needs, their long term goals. I think it's probably worthwhile to even mention um, you know, uh, trying to understand that that company's skill set, like the uh, of their team, and and even the the structure um, uh, of their teams before you really even get into, you know, an effective um, media mix, because uh, there's pros and cons to to go in any direction there. So, what are like the common media mixes that you're referring to? Well, and I think so. When I think of me, like when I think about lead type, if you will, going back to the the you know the direct leads or a, a multi carrier, we can even throw phone calls in there. If if you're a um, you know if you're a company that is limited by budget, you probably don't need too many direct leads, right? Because you're not going to maybe get enough volume to, to to fulfill your need. On the flip side of that, maybe you're a company that's not staffed completely, and so therefore you don't necessarily. Um, need too many multi-carriers because then you can almost get flooded with too much work and not have the quality in there. Um, you know, I think the same could be true, you know, talk about in a media mix, you know, uh, creating inbound phone calls, um, you know, if you're not staffed or it's not the right hours. So the, those things start to, to become part of the strategy on where you um, you build out that portfolio or, or you can media mix there so that you're driving the right type of lead to the right type of people. Um um, in that mix. So it sounds like you could have a structure of kind of that high volume leads or low volume leads, just depending on what your team is built of recruiters um, versus some carriers have somebody working all the leads, but they're also doing operations functions or safety functions too. Um, talk a little bit about setting up, you know, if you are in that call center, high volume lead environment, how do you set up that call center environment to ensure that you have success? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it, it, bringing up that people are not just in recruiting. They, they may be doing operational um, parts of the company and be working in operational pieces too. And I think that's important um, when you're building that media mix. You know, I think, um, again, I, I mentioned kind of the department size, but, you know, when we talk about volume, it's not, it, it, you don't want to give a one size fits all answer, kind of like where we started the conversation. I think you could kind of um, narrow that down for your audience, maybe look at it from a leads per recruiter. Um, that way we can kind of level the playing field. So we're not trying to compare somebody with two to five recruiters versus 200, right? I mean, it's a completely different um, kind of scale, but but in a per recruiter level, you, you really 
you can level it a little bit. Um, I think another thing you have to think about is where marketing technology plays in there. There's a lot of marketing um, techniques that, that could be at play as well that kind of help, um, you know, facilitate a higher volume, um, you know, kind of sifting through leads, if you will. There's a lot of things there that you know, I would love to, you know, talk through different people with, um, with how they can maximize um, their their value on, on what they're doing. When you talk about, you, you asked about, I think, like a call center, um, you know, um, I think about that. I think about there's there's the inbound component and then there's also the outbound. So I'm assuming you're, you're referring to maybe when I hear call center, I think about inbound calls. Um, is that what you were referring to in the question? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like um, <clears throat> phone routing. Does that matter? Let's... Critical. I mean, and I think the bigger you are, the more leads you have, the more it's going to, going to play in. And I think there's, there's always an argument over quality and quantity too. And I think that that's going to depend on whether you're talking to the recruiter or the CFO, you know, CFOs, you know, they're, they're looking at things like your, your return on investment. And so they may think that a multi-carrier because the cost per hire maybe is better than a cost per lead. So I think those are some underlying things. We talk about the structure um, that you have to really take into account to be a good steward of, of you know, uh, somebody's you know, investment money here. But when when you talk about call routing going down that path, um, it's it's extremely important. And I think this is an area that in the industry um, is probably the most underutilized area. Um, I'll kind of give you a scenario to make maybe make it work. You know, we know drivers are in high demand, but let's just for for argument's sake um, say that you have a, a driver and you're a you know you're the 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 largest employer in your in your community. So you're well known, have a strong brand, pays good. Quality of life's good for that driver, but let's say the recruiters are driving for a diesel mechanic. And I don't know if anybody in here has tried to recruit a mechanic, but they're they're even harder to find than a driver. Um, um, but let's just say for a moment that you you've got a recruiter, two two recruiters, whether it's two recruiting department or just two available recruiters out of twenty. But we're talking about the call routing here. You know who's going to answer the phone call and and in what order. If this, if the, the driver applicant calls in for the job that you know you can fill because you're, you're the best option in town or this gym of a, of a, of a uh, diesel mechanic, which one are you going to answer first? And if, if you can answer that question, if the audience can answer that question, then I think phone routing matters because you can, you can dictate that. I think to take it, you know, a step further is not only knowing the kind of lead that you're bringing in and how that might play into your call routing, you could look at the skill set of your recruiters. So let's go back to this two available recruiter scenario. Let's just say hypothetically, the first one recruiter, you know, had, had been a, a mechanic at your company for 15 years and, and their career path led them to an office job and, and, and they're now in a recruiting department. And let's just say the same is true of the driver, uh, that the other recruiter drove for, for 10, 15 years in your company. If you've got those leads coming into your call center, who do you want the lead to go to? Because I, I, without knowing, I, I have a feeling the, rec- the the mechanic probably can speak that language to the mechanic and be a better good, better fit. And so, I think those are some areas where you really could um, look at your your uh, inbound calls and your call center and your structure and, and maybe make some optimizations there. I would agree. And just for our audience, make sure you test it yourself Always. and don't assume that it's always working because it's so important always test everything <laughs> yep <clears throat> well i think this is a good time for us to switch gears and answer a question from one of our listeners uh and in our deeper dive segment 
the question is, do you think, and I can't wait to hear the answer of this, Jeremy, from you too, by the way, do you think driver pay is the key motivator? Okay. Well, that's a good question. Well, let me start by saying, I don't want to outkick my coverage here. So, um, you know, I think my role is to, to, you know, be informed on a lot of things. Um, but at the end of the day, I, my goal behind the scenes is to try to be one to two calls away from solving any problems. So I, I think that would be an opportunity for me to maybe highlight that I'm not the expert in driver pay. I, you know, I'm going to lean towards people like Leah Shaver at National uh, Transportation Institute. Um, you know, she has far more data. Um, she's certainly an industry leader in that aspect. So while, while I'll, I'll, uh, give you an answer, I just want to preface that, that I don't want to, I don't want somebody to think I'm, I'm the, uh, know all here, but I, I would tell you that at a company level, driver pay is, is certainly, um, a key motivator, but it's just one of them. I think, again, at a company level, it's one of many things, right? I mean, not every driver when they're looking to change, um, um, positions or careers is, is necessarily motivated by pay. Um, and so I think that you really, in a, if you're in a recruiting role, you have to really understand what is good about your company. You know, that, what are your EVPs, right? And pay may or may not be one of them. Now, at an industry level, I would say it's the key motivator. I mean, if we're trying to attract new people to our industry, I think that is one of the easiest ways to, to get attention and get them in there. But then the, the challenge becomes, how do you retain them? You know, so then it becomes the retention conversation. But I would say, um, again, at, at a company level, you have to be aware of where you stand with driver pay. It's definitely uh, going to be a motivator for many of your calls, but not the only one. And at the industry level, we've got to we've got to be there. It's not a race to the top, but we have to, you know, we have to be uh, aware of, of uh, what the needs are. And I've not read a report in any of my years that said we've got plenty of drivers to meet the demand. So, yeah, I would agree with you. And home time is right there in the industry and in the driver's mind as important uh, value as well. Very so, much. Good, good stuff. Um, let's go back to your experience with uh, driver marketing and what are your thoughts around cost per lead and cost per hire metrics? Yeah, well, I think they're both, they're both great KPIs, but I would tell you that they're just two KPIs. Um, you know, I think the, the, challenge um that i that i see present in the space you know with, with cpl cost per lead is that you know if if you're optimizing towards that um you know in an effort to save money or reduce you know your your costs if you will manage expenses i think that you're probably going to introduce a lot of long-term um challenges for yourself uh, it's probably best to describe that you know if we were to take a, a dive back into say june of 2020 right when when we were completely in a um, just massive disruption, you know, um, consumer behavior changed at a, at a global level, you know, things had stopped. And so that was critical. And so if you were managing just your, your cost per lead, you probably failed to account for the fact that there weren't more drivers. In fact, there may have been at that moment fewer because of, you know, health reasons and risks and concerns of not, not being exposed uh, and that every company had more demand than, than they've ever had probably in, in their company's history. And so what happened was your cost per lead just skyrocketed because there was external catalysts. And so, again, if you were focused on that only, um, probably probably found yourself kind of trying to play catch up. But but if you were looking at, say, cost per hire, looking a little further down the funnel, um, you know, you realize that your cost, your expense um, went up. But if you're looking at, you know, from an investment standpoint, it, you maybe got a better value. 
um, because you know what we what we fail to talk about in both of those KPIs is what's the value of, of your truck running down the road, you know, as a you know, what opportunity costs lost, and that's a number. You know, no finance office is ever going to really be able to see that because it's a hidden, it's kind of a hidden cost and you know, opportunity. So I think that, um, you know, um, there's a lot of people, though, that, you know, maybe hold somebody like us or your marketing department accountable to a cost per lead. And that's OK if if their attitude or their their focus is, well, if you get us, you know, an interested candidate, we'll do everything we have to do to, to convert them. Well, if that's the case, then. They're probably not really focused on on the CPL. They're looking at, at, at probably minimum half a dozen dozen other KPIs, um, and and therefore they they're actually looking at other things that matter that can move the needle forward for their company. And so, um, I'll tell you where the industry's headed though um, is probably more of a lifetime value um, um, of a of, of a driver. You know, how long do those drivers stay with you? What you know, what again, looking at the opportunity cost, what revenue does it produce? And looking at those things. Um, more from a marketing lens and not a, not a financial lens. Um, you know, so. Yeah, very true. I want to touch on something. You mentioned disruptive marketing. Um, explain what that is in your mind and do we have to do more of that? Yeah. So I think, you know, when I use the two words disruptive and marketing together, I would tell you that it, the context would come back to who, who I'm talking to. Um, if I'm talking to somebody that's working inside of our agency and we're talking about marketing tactics and things like that, I would I would default to really the type of ad that we're we're promoting. So there's there's what I'd call intent based marketing, and then there's disruptive marketing. Intent would be something like Google search. The intent of that user um, is literally searching for uh, you know solutions. So looking for jobs, you know driver jobs in my town, or even more specifically, you know trucking ABC company you know, available. And so the intent would be very high. Disruptive marketing in, in this context would really be, you know, there may be on, we can pick on Google Display or something like Facebook, something along those lines, is that they're probably within this community, right? They're in their social media profile or they're on a, on on just, you know, a, a, a news channel or an outlet. Um, and then you've got an ad in front of them. And so what you're really doing is you're disrupting what they were intending to do, right? And that's where your, your brand the, the creative, um, your calls to action and things, the messaging, those, that's where those things come in. So you're disrupting their, that moment to, to bring awareness to what you're offering. Uh, and then you kind of, you know, through many mar- marketing strategies can, can pull those into, to, um, you know, qualified candidates over time. I think the other side of disruption in marketing would be, I, I, I have to use somebody like freight waves as an example. So when I think about, not only the internal employee side, but if I'm looking at our vendor side, where where we're placing our clients' ads and things like that, Freightways is is a perfect example of a disruptor because, and I would argue that they they're more disruptive than even somebody like Google was. So, based on their timeline, so as an example, you know, you back up five six years ago, um, or five or six years into say Google, and you did a survey and awareness of who Google was and what they offered. I mean, they had a great product, but I don't know that they disrupted. At that point, um, you know, you take freight waves and, and relate that to supply chains and what they accomplished in, you know, five, the, their first five years. It's hard to find a rock they didn't turn over where the audience lives there. And that, and that goes from, you know, drivers to, to recruiting departments like us. Um, it could be Wall Street. Uh, it could be, um, uh, even, even, you know, verticals like their retail and automotive manufacturing. I mean, they have completely pulled the community around supply chain. And, uh, and that's not even mentioning their, you know, their, products like 
you know, their sonar data and things like that. So that complete disruption there. But what that means for an agency is that we now know what kind of audience lives there. And then you start buying those ads because you know the intent or the quality of those people, you know, resonate with a particular need or goal that maybe the client would have. And so that's that's going to happen, um, you know, always. And so I don't know that, you know, disruptive in marketing, those are those are challenging. But as an agency, you know, I think our job would be to adapt and optimize and just always be responsive so that we're being a good steward of, of our clients, you know, and uh, investments and things. Yeah, absolutely. And how does the next generation, last question, by the way, so we don't run out of time, but how does the next generation look for jobs? Is it different? Oh, no doubt. I think time, if anything, is, has, has always proven this one. So I'm going to put my, I taught some classes at, at, at the University of Arkansas in Fort Smith, and I've, I've, I've given this spill before, but um, best way to say that it, it, they're going to look differently is just maybe give a quick history lesson and, and we'll try to do it from a marketing lens. But if you were to, and, and we'll tailor it with, with jobs and hiring. If you go back 250, 300 years ago, it was word of mouth, right? That was the, you know, the, the blacksmith or the farmer had a job and needed a good hand, right? So word of mouth got, got you to the job, but you know, we'll, we'll fast forward to, you know, the founding fathers and somebody like a Ben Franklin and look at that and say, um, the, the, uh, they were able to print newspapers and flyers. And then, and, and so we kind of move on time. That was 1776, let's say. Um, by 1890, the radio was introduced. So now the newspapers have competition. So uh, I think it was in the 1930s, television was was uh, um, um, introduced. And so now there's even further competition. And so not only did the newspapers expand and you had local and state and national, you know, you had these other sources and channels coming into play. So that that just we hit the internet in the in the eighties and nineties, and then just explosive smartphones and social media. So the reality is, the the new, the next generation is always looking towards. Um, it's always fragmented. They're always looking for new places. They're spending their time consuming content, and that's that's just not going to change. Where we are in the next two, three, five, ten years, will will accelerate even faster than we have. But I think I would agree. Yeah, close that great statement. stuff. Yeah. My final statement there would be, you know, talking about next gen and trucking, you got to give Lindsay Trent, you know, uh, you got to give her a look, you know, she, what she's doing to, to get the industry further down the supply chain and the, in, in that audience is, is key. So I think, you know, we've got to be supporting her with our time, talent and treasures best we can. So. Yeah, know. absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining. I really appreciate your friendship. You're always a great resource. Um, and I really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks a lot. Well, thank you so much. I'd say it, my ask is if you get any questions or Freight Waves does, feel free to send those to me. Um, more than happy to, if anybody wants to connect on LinkedIn or send a question, I'll, I'll personally call you or email you. But want to want to address anything that we didn't cover today. So thank you both uh, so much for uh, allowing this opportunity today. Absolutely. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Taking the Higher Road. Remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those that appear on the upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you listen to. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.